Soul food, the things you need to know about your Bible. This is part 22. And I would say for about four weeks, five weeks, we've been looking at that text from Isaiah 66, the one who trembles at God's word. So I want to read that text again. It has that strange middle section. Isaiah 66, 1 to 4. Get a Bible and let's study for a little while together. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. There's the phrase we've been looking at, trembles at my word. And then these strange verses. Verse 3, he who slaughters an ox, which is what they would do in the temple at the command of God, is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, again, commandment from the Lord, like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering, commanded by the Lord, like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, commanded by the Lord, like one who blesses an idol. Okay, why have these righteous acts commanded by God, why have they become so evil-looking? This text isn't saying that they have murdered people or offered pig's blood. It's saying when you do these things, offer these sacrifices in the temple, but then go your own way and ignore me, then those righteous acts become like offering pig's blood, murdering somebody, worshiping an idol. That's made clear when you come to the middle of verse 3 where it says, these have chosen their own ways. Not in the temple, but outside the temple. Their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose harsh treatment for them. Bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. So unlike the one who trembles at his word, when I spoke, they didn't listen. They did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. And so we spent a couple weeks ago five traits of a heart that trembles at God's word. Last Sunday night, we looked at some responses that might look like a trembling heart, but really aren't. And if you recall, we looked at Acts 24, Paul before Felix, and Felix, he's interested in what Paul says. He trembles at what Paul says. He calls Paul back to hear more, but he, but he doesn't make the response. He doesn't buy in. Then we looked at the faith of demons, remember, who believe there's one God, and we looked at all the things that demons believe, that Jesus Christ is Lord. They confess that when they see Jesus. They tremble, but that's not, that's not a trembling out of love for God. So things that might look like a trembling heart, but really aren't. So what I want to do tonight, I want to look at one example. One example we're going to study from the Old Testament. What a trembling heart before the word of God actually looks like. So after some false examples, I want to look at a true example of a trembling heart. And it comes from the life of young King Josiah of Judah. 
I'll pick up the text in different places, so kind of follow along. Get a Bible. 2 Kings 22, 19. Look at what the Word says, what God says about young King Josiah. Then we'll look at how we got here in just a minute. 2 Kings twenty two nineteen. Because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have also torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. So that's kind of the end of the story. What I want to do is back up the bus a little bit. Look at the story found in 2 Kings 22, because it's a fascinating account. Young King Josiah, in his teens, comes to the throne of Judah upon the death of his father, Ammon. If you know any old history at all, Old Testament history, Ammon was one of the most wicked kings in Judah's history. The text says over and over again as you follow the account that Ammon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's a very good way of reminding us all that we don't just do bad things, we do bad things in the eyes of the Lord even if we don't take the time to think it through, and we usually don't. But Ammon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What happened? Well, during Ammon's reign, the temple had fallen into disuse in terms of the true worship of the Lord. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. No one did anything about it. You'll see that in a minute. Nobody complained. Nobody missed God at all. Then comes Josiah. Ammon dies. Josiah, young Josiah, he comes to the throne and he takes the situation to heart and he decides, you know what, we really need to refurbish the temple. It's just, it's just in shambles. It's been desecrated, ignored, and Josiah, for whatever reason, we're not told, he just says, we have to fix up the temple. We have a record of his instructions. That's in 2 Kings 22, 4 to 6. Josiah is the speaker. Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given to the hand of the workmen, who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give the money to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house. That's what Josiah wants. That is, to the carpenters, to the builders, to the masons. Let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. And there's something in all of us that just wants to say, well, good for you, Josiah. Good for you. About time. But that's not the part of the story that deserves mention. Other kings had worked to rebuild the outer house of worship. There's something more important about Josiah. So as they're cleaning through all the dust, all the rubble, Hilkiah, the high priest, he was looking for money, like Josiah said, go find the money to give it to the workers. Hilkiah was looking for this, but while he's looking for the money, he finds an old scroll, a copy of the law of God. He wasn't looking for it. He just stumbles on it. That's in 2 Kings 22.8. And Hilkiah the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah, 
gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Lo and behold, first time in years, somebody is starting to read this book of the law. Now think about it. As far as we can account, as tell from the account, this is the first time anyone even mentioned the book of the law in the whole account of the rebuilding of the temple. It was buried somewhere among all the religious paraphernalia, lost in all the temple rubble, and nobody, until Hilkiah stumbled upon it, nobody even missed it. Nobody was thinking about the book of the law. I've been, I've been thinking about that. Maybe, maybe we need to search our hearts a bit. Apparently, you can keep a lot of, you can keep a lot of religious routine going without any reference to the Word of God. Wow. So, we must never assume we can't actually get to that place. We, 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 we need to remember that it's easy to just get involved in things and God's word gets shuffled to the side. Back to our story. The account continues. Shaphan is the official secretary to the king. That's why he's the one who's going to read this book. We don't know from the story what made him do this. Was he devout? Was he just doing his job? That could be. But here's what the account says. It's in 22, 2 Kings 22, 8 to 10. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of the workmen. That's what Josiah had commanded. Verse 10. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, it's almost as an afterthought, uh, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. He doesn't even call it the book of the law. And then it says, and Shaphan read it before the king. So Shaphan, he talks about the money first, and he says, oh yeah, and they found this book. Let me read it to you. And so Shaphan starts to read the book of the law to Josiah. So now we know what they were doing when this book of the law was found. They weren't hunting for God's word. They were looking for money. They were rooting around about the temple treasures so they could finance the refurbishing project. And while they were looking, they found something more precious than gold. Try to picture it. Josiah, a very young king. Perhaps his father was godless. Nobody was worshiping under Ammon. So maybe for the very first time in his life, that's entirely possible, Josiah hears the word of God read aloud the first time. He's been trained under his unscrupulous father, Ammon. He's been trained in nothing but idolatry and wickedness and immorality and unrighteousness. He's had no exposure to God, no exposure to God's law because they didn't even know the book was missing. And now he hears words, like words from another planet from God's book. It's just an incredible account. 
Verse 13 records the miracle of miracles. Josiah's response isn't typical in a godless environment. Look what he says, verse 13. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. Look what he says. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers, his father actually, our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. He hears enough of the book of the law to know we're not doing that. We don't obey that. If that isn't enough, Josiah does something else. He calls for Huldah the prophetess to find out what God has to say about Judah's neglect of this book of the law for all these years. And this is where you get all those tongue twister names. 2 Kings 22, 13, and 14. Josiah says, go inquire of the Lord for me. He says this to Huldah the prophetess. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. He can see that. To do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Achim the prophet, Achim and Akbor and Shaphan and Asahiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Tikva, the son of Hephus, keeper of the wardrobe. She now lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they talked with her. All that to say, Josiah wants a word from the prophet, the prophetess. What's the deal here? We have not been obeying the words of this book, and Josiah wants to know. The point here is, and this is good, Josiah, he hasn't heard this book before, as far as we know, and he doesn't want to miss anything. He doesn't want some approximate obedience to God's word. The people have been neglecting it. It would have been easy for Josiah just to brush it off or make some quick emotional response. It would be easy to be less thorough, but no. Josiah wants to dig right down to the bottom and see what's gone wrong and what the people need to do. Then Huldah, the prophetess, she comes back to Josiah. She's been inquiring of the Lord. And she comes back to Josiah and says this. This is verse 15 through 20. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord... Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and its inhabitants. It's not just that bad things are going to happen. God's going to judge them. This is God's wrath, not just circumstances kind of unraveling. There's a lot of people who, who have that doctrine of the wrath of God, where it's, just, it's kind of just the effects of sin. You, 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 can, you can get that from, well, just all sorts of contemporary writers, and it's not what the Bible teaches at all. I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But look at these words, 18. But to the king of Judah, that's Josiah, 
who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, all this judgment, wrath of God, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers. You will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. I think it's really easy to misunderstand. We haven't got too much left here. Easy to misunderstand those harsh words of judgment. It wasn't that God would never show these people mercy again. He would. He would restore them later on. But they would first have to bear judgment. Why? They would bear judgment because they needed God's wrath before his grace would ever be fruitful in their lives. You see, they hadn't actually repented for themselves. Here's, here's uh, Josiah. He's the king. He reads the book of the law. He feels convicted. He checks it all out. He bears the weight. And he repents. But the people haven't repented. I mean, when the king repents, the people follow along. But this isn't their heart being changed. Josiah's heart was soft and tender. But the people hadn't changed. They were just following the king because, well, that's what you do when the king speaks. That's the nature of a theocracy. I mean, the king kind of led the nation back to its knees, but they had simply obeyed the king. They hadn't changed their heart toward God one bit. And so, for the people's own good, they needed to learn the importance of taking God really seriously. And here's the point. Here's the point. Without a trembling heart toward God's word, if you don't have that, God has no tool left to awaken souls than wrath. The hard heart always paints itself into this corner when dealing with God. But Josiah, okay, Josiah had been the one exception. He was the one. Literally, Isaiah, think of Isaiah 66, the one who trembles at my word. Literally, it's just Josiah. The one person in the whole corrupt crowd who trembled when he heard God's word. And, and because Josiah's heart was tender and responsive to the word of God, he would receive mercy. He would be spared seeing all the destruction that was coming. Now, that's, a, that's quite a story, and it's a long story to work through. We read a lot of text, and I took the time to work through this whole story because it, it drives home the point of how precious a trembling heart before God's word is. Out of Look at this pool of Judah. Out of this pool of, of nothing, but rebellion, stubbornness, idolatry, and corruption. Out of that whole pool, we see one person, Josiah, standing out. I want to be that kind of person. Don't you? 
Josiah's young heart had trembled just hearing God's word. Think about it. Josiah never saw a miracle. There was no angel. What changed Josiah's heart? Here's what it was. Someone read the scriptures to him. Period. And Josiah couldn't stand it. He saw the contradiction between what God required and what the people were doing. That's all he needed to hear. God had been ignored. God's ways had been perverted. Josiah drops to his knee, tears his clothes, cries his eyes out. No one else in the account responded like that. Nobody responded like Josiah. He's all alone. Josiah, think of it this way. Josiah, his whole changed heart. And he got nothing more than you and I are getting right at, right at this minute. He hears God's word. We read 2 Kings 22, just about the whole chapter. You heard it. You heard God's word read. That's all Josiah got. And it changed his whole life. Are we getting everything out of this book we're supposed to be getting? Maybe just as I wrap up, Maybe it helps to compare two people back to back because they're very similar in the way they start. Consider Josiah and consider Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the more famous of the two. God wants to get a message through to Pharaoh, okay, in Egypt. And it takes six chapters of narration, six chapters in the Bible, ten plagues, and ten times, Pharaoh pretends to listen, he sort of listens, but he doesn't really listen to God. Six chapters, ten plagues, ten entreaties, calling to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh still isn't changed. Josiah. Josiah lives in just as godless a time and place as Pharaoh. No more righteous, not a bit more righteous. Just as pagan, just as idolatrous, just as wicked as Pharaoh. He has no spiritual advantage over Pharaoh whatsoever. They're in the same boat. The same God delivers the same type of message. Once, Josiah hears it. And agony grips his heart. And he turns to God. That's the difference. That's the one who trembles at God's word. I want to look next week at the process of how to hear God in a fruitful manner. But let's, let's just remember that story from 1 Kings 22. We studied the whole thing tonight. I don't want to be like Pharaoh. I do want to be like Josiah, both in absolutely godless situations and the one who trembles at God's word. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this great account. We're so blessed to have accurate history from your word. We're so blessed to be able to see how your word can affect and touch lives. 
let it be that way in our lives. Always, Sunday by Sunday, week by week. Whenever we hear the word read, make it transforming in our hearts. We want to hear God speak through the word. Bless our church. Thank you for keeping us. Keep us in your care. Keep our hearts close to you. Help us, Father, in, in all of our communication and all of our tweets to be gracious and loving and Christ-like. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Join us, church, for our prayer time.